Welcome to the First Impressions Podcast, the official podcast of the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams. Every month, Chris John Riley and myself, Martin McKay, share informal conversations with security professionals from around the globe. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone, and any sarcasm you hear is purely intentional. For more information on FIRST or this podcast, please check out FIRST.org. Good morning and welcome to First Impressions Podcast. I'm your host, Martin McKay. With me is my friend, Chris John Riley, and joining us today is another friend of ours, Jay Jacobs, who is the co-chair of the Exploit Prediction Scoring System called EPSS, and is also one of the founders of the Scienti Institute. How are you doing today, Jay? Great, great. Real happy to be here. It's great to be talking to, to people who are involved with First Six because we, we hear a lot about them at the conferences, but it's not often we get down to sit and talk with the people who are actually doing the work behind the scenes and bringing everything together. So it's, it's really great. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, we've only been doing this about a year and a half. And so it's been a really, really fun experience starting a SIG and running it and being a part of it. And it's been a great experience so far. For people who, who don't know what EPSS is, can you give us the quick TLDR? Yeah, it's it's pretty much in the name, Exploit Prediction Scoring System. And so what, what we try to do, and it's been evolving over its life cycle, but we try to look at vulnerabilities and gather as much data as we can. And at this point, we're, we're grabbing a ton of data on a daily basis. And we update the score on a daily basis, trying to look for indicators that something will be exploited. And that's not something that we do lightly. We, we also are gathering exploited activity, exploitation activity. And so we've got a number of part of companies that we partner with to get actual evidence of exploitation. And that's what we're trying to forecast and predict. So every day we're producing these scores that talk about specifically the probability that we expect to see exploitation activity in the next 30 days moving forward. Well, surely as a security engineer, every single exploit is going to be exploited. You need to patch immediately, 100% security. Oh, oh Chris, Chris. No Chris, room Chris. for yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's always going to be exploited. You have to take all the systems down immediately. Surely. Right. And, and the, so this research is coming out of other research that we did uh, at my day job, uh, where we partnered with Kenna, looking at essentially companies and how many vulnerabilities they have and how fast they remediate. And I can tell you, absolutely, that's impossible. Like, there is no way that any company is going to be able to look at the vulnerabilities that they have and fix them all, you know, in any, any given normal time period, or at least keep up with the ones that are showing up. Like it's, it's nearly impossible. So prioritization is, it's, it's not only a must, like it's, it's required, you know, like you cannot not prioritize. So the difference is with a CVS score, you're, you're looking at something and saying, this is how dangerous it might be if exploited or this is how likely it could easily it could be exploited. Whereas what you're looking at is actually, no, this is being exploited in the wild and this is why you need to be aware of it. Yeah, and I think it, it comes out of my early, early years in security where part of me would, you know, when I started out in security, I was very, I don't know if the word would be overzealous perhaps, where, you know, like, like you were saying, Chris, you know, like fix everything, this is all terrible. The whole world is on fire, fix everything. and. And I started to see other people have that same mentality. And it, it started to dawn on me, like, maybe this isn't helpful. You know, that maybe sometimes security people are a little bit overzealous and telling people to fix everything and to do all of this stuff. And so part of it is to try and combat that and to say, hey, let's actually look at exploitation activity. Like, yes, 
on paper, like this particular vulnerability looks really terrible and really the, the world would explode if it were exploited. But in reality, we aren't seeing it exploited. So let's put that in a non-exploited pile and try to understand what makes that non-exploited. Is it like other non-exploited or is it a one-off? You know, all those, all those questions come up. Is this a flaw in CVSS? I mean, inherently, CVSS is a mathematical representation of why you should care about a specific issue, right? Yeah, and I, th it, I think it's important to say that CVSS is developed by, I like to point out sort of people around a table trying to determine what they think is important. And it's, it's truly an awesome project. I mean, like the, the amount of effort and, and brain power that has gone into that. And then the score generation is a sort of, I want to separate that from the actual logic that they put into it. But yes, I mean, they, they say it's a measure of severity. And I think it's just a measure of risk. If you look at what goes into risk, that's what CVSS is measuring. But, you know, and it's got different components. And there's the base score of CVSS, which is, you know, looking at the exploitability and the technical impact. Then you've got the other aspects that help bring in that bigger picture of risk. And, and really, it's sort of like, this is what experts think are important. And that's what that's measuring. And what we're trying to do is say, hey, let's actually look at exploitation activity and measure what's actually going on. Let's not try and guess what we think is important. Let's look at what is important. And so that's the difference. And when we look at specifically exploitation activity, we find that CVSS, especially just the base score, does not forecast well at all. It's, it's quite not a good indicator of actual exploitation activity. How can EPSS look at the history and use that to try and predict what's happening in the future. I mean, I'm guessing that you you don't look at things and say, people are exploiting it, now you should patch. You, you're doing right. some level of predictive modeling here to make it more useful. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah, there's so, there's so many crazy aspects to that question. Um, so in short, like we, we move the sense of today, you know, so we essentially what we'll do, like right now I'm, I'm working on a model that um, I'm going up to, setting a cutoff date. And so like in, in the performance measuring I'm doing going up to, uh, was it October 31st of last year? So I'm looking at essentially 12 months worth of exploitation activity up to October 31st. And then because all of this is still in history, I go forward, forward in time, I'm doing air quotes, forward in time to December 1st, a month after all of the data I've looked at. And I say, all right, I'm gonna try and predict as of December 1st. So I take a look at all the vulnerabilities, what are the data that we have on them? And then because it's still in our past, but in the future of the model, I can say, how did this perform? If I say December 1st, I'm going to look 30 days ahead and say, how many of these are being exploited? And so I can actually say, hey, this model, if we cut it off and look forward in time, how did it perform over the month of December? Even though to us right now, it's all historical, but we can set those perspectives and say, all right, if we, if we cut everything off at the end of October, and just said, let's look forward. How do we expect to do? Well, let's actually measure that. You know, keep keep shifting that sense of what is now, what is in the future, and actually measure how did it perform in the future. And that's how we're trying to tune it and calibrate it, and all the things that we do to the score and and measure the performance. And and spoiler, it's not perfect. You know, I think that's pretty clear from anybody who thinks about this. It's not going to be perfect. And and the whole goal is not. It would be awesome if we were perfect, but in honesty, we just want to be better than alternatives. And I think that we're doing that. A lot of this is predicated on the data you get. I mean, you, mm -hmm. that, that's any of us who have done any any um, information science realize that that's the biggest problem is is what is the data? What is the data actually representing bes despite what we've been told it represents? 
And then how do you train these data models? How do you train your AI or machine, MI, anything? How do you train any right. of that to actually make those predictive models? Yeah, and so it's it's only as good as the data is a, a very, very true statement. Um, but but then again, I think so is expert opinion. You know, if you think of a security analyst, they're looking at, you know, I mean, we're getting, what, 70 vulnerabilities a day on average being published at MITRE. And to have an analyst go through there, they're only going to be good as the data that they are trained on themselves, you know. And so what we're trying to do is make it very objective like hey let's look at what we're getting part of the problem though is that the data that we have you know we've got several sources for exploitation activity now and that's part of the way we're going to combat sort of this challenge of we have a bias in the in the data is that we want to get as many sources as possible but i think a lot of those are limited to network detection you know ids ips alerts that sort of thing and so we will never see um you know like in, in the paper i just referenced a cve that's the uh, in, a, in the cars for the Kia that, you know, that a remote keyless entry vulnerability that will never show up as exploited in our data. You know, we will never say, look, there's exploitation. It'll never be caught by the IDS or IPS or anything like that. And so there, there is a challenge in that. And unfortunately, what we're trying to do is just make things better as we're going along. You know, so if, if someone says, hey, you're missing, you know, automotive exploits, and I'd be like, great. How do we capture that? How do we make, how do we close that gap tomorrow? You know, and generally, you know, a lot of these, we get blank stares and people just don't have it. And so we're trying to do the best that we can with what we have. Uh, and I think that's what anybody's trying to do, including experts and analysts looking at vulnerabilities are trying to do the best they can with what they have. And they also don't have a full picture. So, you know, I think this gets much harder as we're moving everything into the cloud, as we're, we're going in and moving into things that are not a, a centralized on-prem solution. Some of these where we're getting multiple solutions um, from different vendors in the cloud makes it very hard to get even that data. Yeah, and I think though that that security evolves with it. You know, as as the technology moves to the cloud, so you know, luckily, so does money, uh, and that money then brings security tools and uh, protection of all those assets. And so those security tools, you know, at least in theory, are going to capture activity and hopefully report it and hopefully share it with their favorite first seg. My initial thought on this, many, many thoughts, and I'd love to pick your brains about this for hours on end. And I hope we can have a chat at the conference in Montreal, yeah. plug for the Mon Montreal conference. Um, but uh, the data itself is likely to be heavily skewed towards mass exploitation, mm -hmm. things that are scriptable, things that are, you know, there's this teams behind it who are just, this is a vulnerability we can exploit for ransomware, for um, access. It, it rings the alarm bells everywhere because it's, it's mass deployed exploitation versus specifically crafted, tailored attacks against large organizations that may only appear once in one log in one IDS, IPS system, or never anywhere because that's the only time that exploit's ever been used. So yeah. with that in mind, obviously data's not perfect, right. and I agree, but are we skewing very much in, into the mass exploitation market and not really touching on the, the tailored access type of attacks? Yeah, and we're sort of accounting for that, and I, I'd like to take credit for it, but it's purely by accident. But the way that we're encoding exploitation activity is that if even one sensor, we're basically saying we're, you know, we're, we're keyed off of published CVEs in the MITRE CVE list, and we say out of all these CVEs, did any, like, let's identify those that have had one or more alert in a given day. So for any day, we try to do this by day. And so if you get one company with one alert on one device, 
that's going to show up as this CVE has been exploited on that day. Just as if you have, you know, 100,000 devices with 10,000 alerts in a day, that also says this vulnerability was exploited in that day. And so those two become equal, um, which is also sort of a bad thing because the one that's exploited at, you know, hundreds of thousands of companies, you may want to prioritize over the one with a little blip. So there's two sides to that. But the way that we're encoding it, those are treated equal right now. And so one little blip will also trigger it. That, that's also a downside because, you know, you get uh, white hat systems scanning the internet, trying to, you know, map out vulnerabilities. And that will also trigger all these IDS things, even though it's non-malicious. And so you get some, some noise in the labeling that we're doing and things like that as well. I mean, the good guys do stupid things occasionally. Occasionally, occasionally. And, and on that topic, you know, one of the things that we talk about is um, exploit code being published. I don't, I don't want to call that stupid. There's a benefit to doing it, but there's also in, in the research that we've done, there's a, a very severe downside. The fact that we see when we see published exploit code, that is probably the biggest predictor of exploitation activity coming down the road, uh, hands down. Uh, what was it this, just this morning, I think, or over the weekend, uh, the CIA code that was leaked last year is now being seen out in the wild for exploits. Mm. Yay. Great. Yay. Yeah, and I and I think you know there's certain there's certain like tools like Metasploit that make that a lot easier. Of course, if something is in Metasploit, that is a highly efficient tool to follow for patching. And so, like if you you know if you are looking at all the CVEs in your environment and you look at the CVEs that Metasploit has, if you just fix those, that is, you are fixing probably 60, 70 percent of those are being exploited in the wild, uh, or I should say, have exploitation activity in the wild. Um, and so fixing those is a very efficient way to prioritize vulnerabilities. It's not all of them. There's a lot more exploited that are not in Metasploit. So you're going to miss a lot, but you're going to be highly efficient in that prioritization scheme. Talking a little bit about kind of what you've learned about exploitation. Uh, I know reading a little bit into some of the papers, there's, there's some misconceptions about how we as an industry believe things are exploited. You talk a little bit about kind of what you've learned over this period of time when you've been doing the research. Yeah, there's... There's so much to talk about. Um, I think one of the more interesting things is first, how many how many vulnerabilities are exploited? You know, I think right now we're at 190, pushing 200,000 CVEs on the CVE list. And how many of those are actually being exploited? It's super hard to say because we don't have detectors on 200,000 vulnerabilities, but best of our ability, I think we're looking 7%, 7 to 10% maybe of those. Do you mean... Um, like those exploits in some version of jQuery in a non-standard installation and not being exploited. Even worse than that, jQuery is really heavily used, but you know, like there's CVEs on some absolutely remote CD burner software that like you will never see in a corporate environment. Or if you do, it's, you know, one off really weird. So there's really, really bizarre, obscure vulnerabilities that will never be exploited. But even that, you know, there's certain Microsoft vulnerabilities that will never be exploited. And it's challenging. And then you look at something like Adobe, some of the Adobe products where you have one version that has 20 different vulnerabilities. There's no way all 20 are going to be exploited because they generally only need one, right? And so there's challenges like that as well. Um, but some of the other things that we see first, you know, how many are exploited? But I think the really interesting thing is the timing of exploitation. You know, certainly when we think of problems with vulnerabilities, zero days come up, you know, this race to patch, uh, you know, and the question is how, how quick are the attackers reacting? And of course, there's no one size fits all. You can't say they're slow, they're fast. There are some that are extremely fast. But generally what we see is a ramp up in exploitation. 
And actually, we see that ramp up going up to about peaking in four to six years after publication. That's when we see actually more exploitation activity is four to six years after publication than right away. We definitely see activity for a lot of these vulnerabilities right away. But when we talk about volume and, and the prevalence of exploitation, we're seeing more four to six years down the road, which is crazy to me. Like you always think of this race and you think, you know, attackers are just evolving and constantly changing and things like that. But it's sort of a slower burn. And there was a great paper. Um, I can't remember the author's name, but they were talking about this work averse attacker that they are just like everybody else. They're lazy. If they get an exploit that works, they're going to use it for months and months and months. Even if some fancy zero day comes out, why would they change? They're still succeeding the work averse like everybody else. So I think, I think it's interesting. If, if going on that same theme, if you're looking at something from four to six years ago and exploiting that, the chances are that the people who are going to patch it have patched it, have put in the security controls. Everybody else, they're never going to put in security controls in place that are catch, going to catch you. So that four to six-year-old vulnerability can give you a lot of, of time to play. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you find something that's four to six years old, chances are the rest of their security controls are on par with that. So yeah, I mean, we could probably figure out why we're seeing this, but it's, it's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I mean, if, if MS 06087 still works, then yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's also that, that idea of why, why burn zero days and the highly technical exploitation of brand new and modern things when you can use an exploit that's out there in the wild, right? You don't yeah. need to, to use the latest technologies and the latest exploits if the older stuff works. So there may be elements of ramping up you just keep ramping up until you hit that sweet spot of, oh, right. four years ago, that works, right? Yeah. No need to, to burn the new stuff. Yep. Yeah. And so stuff like that, I think, has been really interesting to discover, you know, time of, of exploitation, uh, how many, and then also just looking at things that aren't exploited that we expect to be exploited and vice versa. I think that there's a lot of interesting things in there. And, and part of the challenge, too, we've tried to build the model such that we expect the labeled data to be missing. And so that's one of the reasons, you know, a lot of people will push us to, to publish our exploitation activity. Say, hey, we see exploitation activity for this CVE. And then we will see, you know, like a vulnerability that has a high rated probability of exploitation with no exploitation activity. And then the question is, well, you got that wrong. And we're like, well, do we, do we have a signature for that? You know, like, would we even see that exploited? Because all, it has all of the signatures of being exploited but maybe we just don't have a signature for it. Maybe it just never show up in our data. And so we try to blend that and, and it's, it's a really hard problem. There are so many nuances to, to looking at this data. Can you go back once you get those signals and then redo that analysis to make that better quality? Or is that just a losing some game, right? There's new detectors out all the time and I can imagine you'd just be running new models 24 seven. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is that these will decay in quality over time. So like right now, the current EPSS model was developed last February, um, released in February. And I think that the accuracy of that model has been decaying consistently. And my goal back then was like, I'm gonna update this quarterly and it'll come out every quarter and life goes on. But, um, hmm. and I think we're at the point now where we can start to update this more, more frequently. Um, but as far as updating it, like when we create a new model and when we refresh this, we try to give it the best chance it can. And so we're doing all those things like we will, you know, I mentioned like we do that time delay when we actually test how it's performing. We also do things like as we're, we're tuning it and looking at the variable contribution, we will hold out subsets of vulnerabilities 
train on the rest and let's see how it performs on those we held out. So like it didn't even see that in the training. How, how is that performing? And we do that time separation. But yeah, I mean, like we want to go back and update this stuff, but um, it's, and we try to give it the best chance that we can when we create something. So we try to go back as we're doing it and creating it. So, yeah. How can companies take what you're doing in the BSS SIG and, and really use it within their organizations, right? I mean, there's the yeah. idea of this is great. It's really interesting. I, I, I'm going to definitely dive into the docs even more to try and figure out how this works out. But, you know, how can actual your average everyday organization use this to make their patching better and more efficient? So first, logistically, at first.org slash EPSS, we've got a, a data and stats page where we put daily stats that are updated daily, of course, and then the stats, the data, which you can download, which has a rating on every day, uh, updates daily for every published CVE. And so things in reserve status don't get a score. So you can download that and you have that. There's also an API that you can use to, to query specific CVEs and for dates and date ranges, I think. Um, but the other thing is that you have to remember that this is a score, a, a probability about exploitation activity and is not the whole risk picture. Um, and so you could just take the score and try to prioritize on that because if there's no exploitation activity, you're probably not going to have impact, right? But at the same time, if you are looking at a, a vulnerability as a 5% chance of exploitation, but it's on the, the crown jewels, you know, that you see this vulnerability in a very important system that may have very different weight than just a 5% chance of exploitation. So as a company, you want to, you want to prioritize based on risk and EPSS is just the threat portion of that risk. And so just keep that in mind as you try to implement it, that there's a lot more things that you can consider than just exploitation activity, but this part we're trying to solve for you. We're trying to help you with that threat activity. So you're saying this is not a be all end all. This is just one more indicator to use in your tool set um, for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I spent a lot of time working with fair uh, risk analysis and, and talking a lot about risk analyses and, and risk management. And, you know, you look at like the fair taxonomy has this, you know, you've got risk at the top and it breaks it out into probability and, and the impact. And then under probability, it'll break that out. Under impact, breaks all that out. And when you go to do these analysis, you try to break out, you try to understand all these components. And so as we're doing EPSS, I was like, all right, let's just do this one box that's like three layers down. We're going to help with that one box, right? If you want a full risk analysis, you got you to keep doing everything that you're doing before. But here's this one box that we're going to help with. And so that's, that's to keep that in mind, it's just like, it's not a full risk score. It's, it doesn't, it shouldn't be the whole decision, but it can certainly help with that decision and that one aspect. It's another piece in the puzzle, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, you use this, but use everything else you've got as well to, to make better decisions moving forward. Yep. Yep. So talking a little bit about the SIG, I know we talked a lot about EPSS and, and the, a lot of the research behind it, but what is, what's the SIG going to be doing or what are you doing right now um, in the build up to kind of the, the annual conference in June? So right now we're in the process of releasing a paper. Like I said, we're updating the model and, you know, because the last one was February and we've had a lot of time, uh, we've expanded our data sets. We're getting a lot more data into the model uh, this time. And so we're, we're, as a SIG, well, so there's a core group of us on the data team that we call it, that we're working on this paper. And then that'll be going to the SIG for review and comments and things like that. Um, and uh, some of the other things that we're working on, the, what we get a lot of the SIG is people using it and, and giving feedback. 
you know? And so like, Hey, I, I want to use this. Like, you know, we've got a task list going. Like one of the things is, Hey, I want to look uh, a year down the road, not 30 days. So how, how do we take the score and either mutate it to be 365 days or, can you produce a second score that's for a full, full year of probability of exploitation, things like that. And so that feedback comes into and makes it on our task list. Um, and so that's part of the key thing as well. And then additionally, like as we, a lot of things we do in our SIG meetings, we bring in people doing research in this area to talk about, hey, I just you know wrote this paper about forecasting CVSS scores or forecasting this aspect or you know writing of exploit code and a lot of interesting research that we try to share and present, and that helps us inform our own work as well. And the the SIG meets every other Friday. Um, I don't know the time in GMT off the top <laughs> of my head, uh, but I think it's four in the afternoon GMT, three or four in the afternoon GMT. Um, it's time for tea. Yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry about invading on that time. Uh, but uh, so it's every other week and um, it's open to anyone. So you don't have to be a, a first member to join. It's open to anyone. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good funds. We've, you know, we've got a Slack and we've got a mailing list and things like that. And um, People can find out more information at first.org forward slash EPSS. Is that right? Yes. Yep. And there's a lot of information on there about model generation, the performance, the daily stats on there. Um, there's a really great chart. The last one on that page of, of the statistics that show published CVEs over the last few years and the growth during the year. And like last year, there was just, there was the line kept going away from the other lines of previous years. And so we're getting a lot more vulnerabilities. So yeah, a lot of interesting stuff there, I think. Is there anything else we haven't asked you about? I mean, EPS is a really broad subject and I know we've barely t hit the top of it, but what else do you want people to know? That's a good, I mean, there's, there, there are so many things to talk about and there's so many nuances to it. And one of the things that I actually enjoy is hearing criticisms and uh, people who absolutely hate it and think that this is total garbage because the logic that they have for why it's terrible usually has a, a, a little gem in there. You know, like, hey, this is absolutely terrible because you're totally missing this one thing. And that's like, wait, we are missing that one thing. How do we go fix that? Like, how do we make that better? That's great, you know? And so, yeah, so I, you know, sometimes I, I do talks on this and people ask a question. They're all like, oh, I got you. I got this guy, you know? And they ask a question. I'm like, that is awesome. Thank you. You know, that's great. Um, so yeah, if anybody is looking at this and they're thinking what, what total garbage, um, reach out and let me know why. I think it's great discussion. Great. And if people want to reach out to you personally on the social medias, whatever they may be nowadays, um, how can they reach out to you and engage? I have been avoiding Twitter, but on Twitter, I am at Jay Jacobs, J-A-Y-J-A-C-O-B-S. Um, and actually along those lines, we've been watching Twitter to see if that's still a good source for vulnerability discussion, if people are moving off of Twitter. And so that, that'll be some research upcoming to see if CVE discussion and vulnerability discussion is declining as of the end of October last year, just to see how it's going. But that's where I can be reached on Twitter. And uh, I think that's about it for social media these days. But, uh, yeah. 2023, the, the death of social media, it seems. Yeah. Or at least yeah. Twitter. At least Twitter. <laughs> yes. Uh, great. Well, thank you very much for taking your time to, to come and chat. It's been a really interesting topic. I, I have a thousand more questions, but uh, I will hold yeah. them for uh, a couple of beers at the conference. Fantastic. And Great. Thank you very much for joining us. Right. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to the First Impressions Podcast, and thanks to this week's guest. You can find Chris John Riley on Twitter at Chris John Riley, all one word. You can find me, Martin McKay, on Twitter at MCKEAY. And you can find the first organization at first.org, F I R S T D O T O R G. You can also find more information about First and the First Impressions podcast at first.org. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.